Hi, this is Annie Fox for Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. My guest today is Dr. James Webb. Dr. Webb has been recognized as one of the 25 most influential psychologists nationally on gifted education. We'll be talking about his new book, A Parent's Guide to Gifted Children. Hi, Jim. Welcome to Family Confidential. Hi, Annie. I'm so glad that we made the time for to do this because your book is about a parent's guide to gifted kids. I had two gifted kids. I now have a, a under two-year-old grandson who I'm thinking is probably gifted as well. And and for my viewers and listeners, this you know we hear more about special ed programs for kids who have different kinds of needs than giftedness. And so I I would really love for you to start off our conversation by um, defining what it means to be gifted. Well, uh, that's an interesting question because there are many different definitions, of course, but the the classic one, which was first formulated many, many years ago, said gifted children are those children who have unusual ability or potential in any one or more of four or five areas, uh, intellect, academics, creativity, visual performing arts, or leadership. Now, originally, they included in the definition psychomotor gifted, but that's not usually in most of the definitions these days because they're athletes, and athletes are pretty well taken care of (laughs) these days. They don't have a whole lot of special needs. But the question on this, that's a general definition, and then you get down to the nitty-gritty of, well, how much potential, how much ability, It's kind of like asking how dark blue does blue have to be before it's navy blue or darker. Mm -hmm. It's it's something you just draw a line at some place. Most schools have and still do define gifted as the upper 3%. Some schools, the upper 5%. A few schools say the upper 1%. But in fact, the National Association for Gifted Children just a few years ago came up with a realization and a new definition that said gifted children can be gifted in a variety of different areas, so much so that it makes more sense to call them the upper 10%. Oh. The upper 10%. But they also then recognize, and I have to say as an aside here, Annie, that I don't like the term gifted because oh. it tends to imply that these kids are all the same, and they're not. You have such degrees of giftedness, just levels of giftedness. I often tell parents and teachers that you have what I call the borderline gifted, the average gifted, the profoundly gifted, and the take-your-breath-away gifted. <laughs> and, and these kids who are in the upper ranges are just different than the garden variety gifted. So the term gifted is... It's, it's one I use reluctantly, but it's a term we're stuck with these days. And why this is important is because so many parents and teachers, frankly, are reluctant to use the term gifted. They're as uncomfortable with it as I am for a variety of reasons. So it's a great place to start of, well, what do you mean by gifted? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, you know, it's really interesting. I know that there are many school districts across the country that test for giftedness because they have gifted and talented programs, um, yes. pull-out programs, supplementary kind of programs for kids within the school day. And I'm wondering, um, with all these different kinds of giftedness, whatever it is you want to call this, how do you possibly test for it? You, you, you can. So we're, how do you identify the, the kids? You can, but it's 
it's extraordinarily difficult for schools to do. And frankly, the research indicates that our schools have failed to identify about half of the gifted children in our country. Mm-hmm. So how do you identify them? Well, this is where I really like to talk to parents. Parents are my most favorite group to talk to. Me too. Be- <laughs> because if, if a child is going to be identified as gifted, it's going to largely come from the parents and they're going to be the ones also to pick up the slack because schools, by and large, frankly, Annie, they do not meet the needs of our gifted children in our country. And we, golly, I can go on on this for a long time, but there's some research, for example, indicating that most gifted children in the regular classroom spend from one-fourth to one-half of the regular classroom time waiting for others to catch up. They're sitting bored. They're underachieving by two to four grade levels below what they could comfortably achieve at. Mm -hmm. The typical program in schools is a pull-out program that is about two or three hours once a week. These kids are gifted 24-7. So just this is a spit in the wind to have them for two hours a week. And yet parents, one of the myths about gifted children is that every mother has a gifted child. Yes, yes. I'm thinking of Garrison Keillor as he signs off on Prairie Home Companion. And all of our children are above average. (laughs) Yes, uh, the women are strong and all the children are above average. In fact, in my experience, most parents tend to underestimate their child's abilities and say, well, you know, she's smart, but not gifted. Interesting. And why do you think that they they underestimate? I'm surprised to hear that. Yes, they tend to imagine or think of the term gifted as meaning genius. Genius. And it's not. I mean, uh-huh. There are some kids that are geniuses, but most gifted kids, you're talking now about, think of the, the upper 10% of the population. Mm-hmm. You're talking about kids who, uh, or as adults after they grow up, these are the ones who are the physicians, the senior executives, the judges, the lawyers. They're the pillars of the community. Mm-hmm. But most people don't think of them as gifted necessarily. Mm-hmm. So parents tend to underestimate, particularly if they themselves are bright, because, well, gosh, doesn't doesn't everybody read before they enter school? Mm-hmm. Isn't everyone asking questions about why in such detail? Yeah. Because that's the way they were. So yeah. they underestimated. Interesting. Now, grandparents, it's a different story. Every grandparent <laughs> does. Have oh, yes, absolutely. Of Gifted kids. So, so here's a question for you. Um, if schools at best have a two-hour-a-week pullout program, yes. um, what can parents do? Let's assume they they know, okay, yes, you, your child is gifted in one of several ways or maybe in multiple ways. What can you as a parent do to supplement what they're getting at school so they're not wasting almost half of their school day waiting for the other kids to catch up and they're not bored? A lot of things that they can do. There are fortunately resources out there. There are a couple of organizations I'll mention. One is SANG, Supporting Emotional Needs of Gifted. Another is Hoagie's Gifted. Hoagie like the sandwich. Hoagie's okay. Gifted has wonderful resources, free downloadable articles. There are state conferences. There's na- there are National Association for Gifted Children has conferences. There also are a wonderful panoply of books out there. Mm -hmm. So if parents think they might have a gifted child, 
I really want to encourage them to reach out and try and educate themselves about it. Look at some of the just lists of characteristics. For example, gifted children most often start speaking early. Most, but not all. Some start speaking late, but when they start speaking, it's often in paragraphs and essays. Some gifted children are not particularly gifted verbally. They're gifted mechanically. They, they take things apart. They can put things together in unusual ways. But the, probably the single most common characteristic is their intensity. One mother told me, she said, my child's life motto is anything worth doing is worth doing to excess. If they're into dinosaurs, that's all they want to do. If they're into quarks or, or fractals, that's what they love. If they're into power struggles and sibling rivalry, it's equally as intensely. Uh, there are also other characteristics like an unusual sense of humor or gifted Unusual? Children. Unusual as in like uh, offbeat? Like like oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yes, okay. seeing absurdities. Gifted children, and this parents tell me a lot, is gifted children who are, let's say, six to ten years old, love to organize people and things in these complicated games <laughs> that have rules within rules within rules. And then they try and organize the other first graders who don't even understand the game, much less the rules. And parents often, and teachers, then tend to see this as she's not got good skills interacting with others, and she's mm -hmm. bossy, and there are problems. And often this, these very characteristics lead to these children often being incorrectly diagnosed as ADHD or oppositional defiant disorder and the like. And perhaps we can get to that. Yeah, well, when point. you mentioned um, anything worth doing is worth doing intensely. And, yes. you know, if you're focused on dinosaurs, for example, yes. then, you know, I I've often heard that kind of intensity and, and single-minded focus when yes. describing kids with Asperger's. Absolutely. Well, Asperger's, you know, it used to be called high-functioning autism and then got relabeled as Asperger's. Uh -huh. So by definition, these children are more likely to be in the gifted range. Now, I do have to say, Annie, that Asperger's is no longer one of the official diagnoses. The DSM has done away with it, the American Psychiatric Association. Uh -huh. There is a new diagnosis that I think, frankly, is going to be the diagnosis du jour. This okay. is called social pragmatic communication disorder. Oh, ah. this is a, a new disorder that was invented by the American Psychiatric Association. How does Dr. Asperger feel about this? <laughs> well, they, they still use the term, okay. and it's still very in the popular language, and it's very similar in many ways to the social pragmatic communication disorder, where these are kids who are often so intensely involved in their own world in the well in their own world or in an issue that they can't modulate their ability to to talk or interact with others depending on the setting that's uh -huh. the definition or the the diagnostic marker for social pragmatic communication disorder okay well hold on a second jim so then i'm thinking okay you've got a kid who's just been diagnosed as this whatever you said social yes. pragmatic whatever. And, yeah. and, and they go, oh, this is a problem. We need to treat this behavior. When you're saying um, it, it could very well be a manifestation of the kid's giftedness and yes. doesn't need to necessarily be fixed. No, 
it does not need to necessarily be fixed at all. And I have my doubts, frankly, if it's truly a disorder. It's it's a quirk. And gifted children are often quirky. One of the things, for example, that parents tell us repeatedly is how often they have to cut the tags out of the back of the shirts of their children. Their children are oversensitive to odors or to sounds or to textures of foods. And those are quirks. They're not disorders. So in this case, with either uh, a misdiagnosis, let's say, of ADHD or of Asperger's or social pragmatic communication disorder, first thing is the parents need to educate themselves about the characteristics of gifted children. Secondly, to see if these behaviors are just quirks or are they really impairments? And then to see, do these quirks cause problems only in some situations or in others. For example, gifted children characteristically gravitate toward older playmates and adults. When they're with others who are interested in fractals, the bothersome behaviors go. They're gone. They're not, well, That's that says to me it's more likely an issue of giftedness rather than an issue of, of some kind of major disorder. Mm-hmm. It's really, really interesting. So, um, you know, we've been talking about things that parents might be worried about when they, but I, how do we celebrate giftedness? Cause I think, you know, being the mom of two gifted kids, I, I, it was, it was a creative challenge for me always to, um, tap into where their interests were and to provide all kinds of opportunities inside the home and at art museums and, yes. you know, science museums and going places. And, and so how do parents celebrate the giftedness? That is, it's wonderful when parents can do that. But parents find that parenting a gifted child often is such a lonely experience. They, they have to get with other parents of children like theirs mm-hmm. often to do that unless they are very strong-willed themselves. The parents have to be independent-minded themselves to be able to take their child, for example, out of school if necessary, to go on a special outing, a special occasion, to, to take their child to a summer camp that deals with astronomy, or to sign the child up for the Stanford EPGY course or the Northwestern Talent Search courses, because the other parents are likely to say, every mother thinks she has a gifted child, you know, or why are you putting so much pressure on your child? Making your child read ahead is just stressful and harmful to his mental. Well, you know, golly, parents of gifted children should celebrate these abilities and reach out to other parents to get emotional support for themselves as well. The schools are not necessarily going to be able to meet the needs of your gifted children. It shouldn't be that way, but that's the way it is. No, I understand completely. When my son was um, in fourth grade, the teacher actually just said to us, I think you should take him out of public school because there's nothing the public school has to offer him. And I'm like, oh, I mean, they're like, saying, and sometimes we, we give up, we can't be creative enough to, to keep yes. this child interested. And sometimes that, that is the case. And we see, frankly, Annie, a, a goodly number of parents of gifted children who are now homeschooling for gifted reasons. You know, historically, it used to be people would homeschool mostly for religious reasons. We're seeing it more and more for gifted reasons because the schools can't meet the needs. But there's actually another part of that, too. And that's fortunately the barrier between homeschool and public school 
has gotten more permeable. So you can, even if you're homeschooling, your child can usually participate in some parts Mm -hmm. of the public school. And we've also gotten beyond the issue of peer relations. Uh, It used to be when you homeschooled, the people would say, oh, but your child's got to learn to get along with other people. And what's about interacting with peers? Well, the kids who are their age peers aren't necessarily their intellectual peers. And so homeschooling, it turns out the peer issue is a non-issue. These kids find their peers at the museums, at the, in the neighborhood. In, in the camps. In the camps. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm thinking, you know, a lot of this in my mind is like, okay, put your kid in this Stanford summer camp, do, you know, this other thing you mentioned. I say that, and even homeschooling, that presupposes that you've got the time and the money to be able yes. to do this. What about, yeah. I mean, I'm saying 10% is 10% and that has nothing to do with socioeconomic levels. And so what about the kids whose parents, you know, are working two jobs and can't homeschool and can't send them to this wonderful enrichment camp? What happens to them? Many of them, unfortunately, get lost. Mm-hmm. Many of them with their, their still gifted kids and yeah, they're in they're intense, they're sensitive, they're bright, they're creative, but that creativity often comes out in in ways that are not socially desirable. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I I know from the research, I know from personal experience with families I've worked with, how many of these parents who are so stretched out these days, particularly as you say, parents working two jobs, they, even if they want to and know what they can, they might like to do, they can't do it. They don't have the resources. Our society is is neglecting our gifted children. Mm -hmm. They're neglected, overlooked, and often misdiagnosed, as I mentioned before, but our society has now drifted into a pattern where our brightest minds, our nation's greatest resource, are not getting the support they need. So what's your biggest takeaway for for any parent, parent with with the financial means to do these extra things and parents who don't. You have a gifted kid and you're now aware of it in new ways. Um, What's your biggest takeaway in terms of how can you support the growth and development of your child's gift? Fortunately, the single biggest thing that you have is your relationship with the child. Everything I know, Annie, from working in this field for years says the single most important factor in determining the successful long-term outcome with a gifted child is does that child have one or two people, usually parents, who understand, nurture, guide, believe in the child and help maintain that sense of curiosity and, and love for learning. Mm-hmm. Now, that, a parent can do that. You don't need extra money for that. You don't need extra money from that. You can go to the to the junkyard and and with take an outing with your child and go and and buy a piece of machinery, then take it home and in the basement or in a corner somewhere, let the child take it apart, see how it works. Then you take it back and get to the junkyard and get a new one. Well, that doesn't cost a lot of money. You can go to the public library. You can read. There are, fortunately, through the Internet, wonderful programs and wonderful array of, of materials. And so even if you're a historically culturally disenfranchised person from a group, for example, we know we have... 
in the African-American and Latino communities, major numbers of gifted children who have never been identified not being served. Mm -hmm. And we need to reach out to them. But fortunately, with the Internet, you can. That's a great equalizer. And And with books through the public libraries. Yeah. It's wonderful, wonderful information. Thank you so much, Jim, um, for doing the work that you do and for sharing it with us this morning. Uh, we have just about a minute left, and I would love for you to give our listeners and viewers an opportunity to learn where online they can find out more about your work. Oh, thank you, Annie. If they go to greatpotentialpress.com, they can find it. And also to SANG, Supporting Emotional Needs of Gifted, which is a free nonprofit organization they will find wonderful information and links to other resources, www.sengifted.org. Thank you so much, Jim. I really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with tweens, teens, and their parents, visit AnnieFox.com. And check out my parenting book, Teaching Kids to Be Good People, Progressive Parenting for the 21st Century. And my latest book for tween girls, the girls' Q&A book on friendship, 50 Ways to Fix a Friendship Without the Drama. And review us on iTunes. It helps other folks find the show. Family Confidential is powered by Electric Eggplant, and this is the time of year that we turn off the lights in the recording studio and go outside and play. (laughs) We'll be back in mid-September to start a whole new season of in-depth conversations with award-winning authors, educators, and thought leaders of 21st century parenting. I hope you and your family enjoy the rest of the summer, and I look forward to connecting with you again in mid-September for a new season of Family Confidential Podcasts. Until then, happy parenting.